0: Are you going to do my preamble and my postamble?
1: I'll do the preamble. so 10 of what's your jam conversations about what makes us happy over a cup of tea and jam's gone um eagle-eared listeners will have realized that i'm not jennifer o'sullivan uh, i am in fact matt powell a local improviser and friend of jen's who has stepped in um G- jen was going to interview me and then we realized that well We don't need another white man on the podcast, Um, so I'm going to (laughs) interview Jen instead. Jen, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. It's unconventional. I'm not actually drinking the tea either. Don't tell anyone.
0: Well, because it's really stinking hot today. It's
1: a million degrees in Wellington. Uh, I am in fact drinking, and this is, they're not paying us, but I'm drinking a Tuatara GNT Citrus Summer Sour, which is absolutely delicious. Everyone get on that beer because it's so good.
0: And I'm drinking Elderflower Cordial with a lot of ice.
1: But I did have the Tokyo Lime Tea the other day, and it's very nice too. So, Jen, uh you are an improviser, yes. a producer, yes. a podcaster. Yes, I am now. Uh, and. About to be a student again, which is exciting. Yes. Tell us about that. Um, I've enrolled in a Master of
0: Fine Arts in Creative Practice Mm -hmm. at Victoria University, of Wellington. It's a brand new program this year. Um, uh, My discipline is theatre, and I'm going to focus on improv. And uh, it starts directly after Fringe.
1: That's convenient. Mm,
0: So convenient. And... um, then I will uh, have a master's.
1: <laughs> so why now? Why why university now?
0: Because. Uh, so I had been thinking about doing. I've been thinking about studying again and getting some kind of master's. Because I I have a lot of study already. Because I'm a bit of a study junkie apparently. Um, mm-hmm. But I've got a lot of years of improv and marketing and produ- production behind me. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I don't really have anything that sort of brings it all together and says this is what I can do and this is what I'm good at. Like I feel
1: like I've got a I've got like a body of work. Yeah. You've got an impressive back catalogue.
0: I've got a big back catalogue, but I just wanted to sort of con- I guess codify it mm. in some way. And just go, This is this is me cementing all of that knowledge into a single year of study. That will use all the stuff that I already know and develop it further and refine some other areas. And at the end of it, I'll be able to go, "Cool, I've got a masters in this. This is something. This is something I can, I can show a piece of paper that sort of clearly translates the various experience I have into sort of a single body of work. I don't think it's ever going to really properly represent all the things that I've done, but it's something that I can, something I can show people that don't know me.
1: Right, and the idea. Like, as I've always understood it, the idea of a, a master's or a doctorate is that you're contributing in some way to the body of knowledge in that field. Is that still the case with like a, a practical degree like this?
0: Well, that's interesting. Um, I would say so because we have a creative project at the end of it. Right. Where we are encouraged to create something um, that I would expect, it would create something that pushes boundaries in our field. I, I don't know, I, and, I, and I would consider that extending the knowledge in an area. Right,
1: because I started three PhDs, three <laughs> I don't know if you them. know this about me. I started, <laughs> okay, now we're yeah. going the other way, okay. how
0: what? How did you start three PhDs?
1: Okay, well, so the listeners won't know, but you'll know that last year I was diagnosed with ADHD, <laughs> uh, and it turns out that AD, undiagnosed ADHD at least, yes. and self-directed research is a terrible combination. It's a terrible combination particularly when your supervisor spends more time in Seattle than he spends in Christchurch oh, Jesus. um so th- like that was a rough time for me um but really it, it it taught me a lot about the early stages of doing a PhD which is read all the things mm-hmm. um and so I spent a lot of time reading to find gaps Mm-hmm like finding gaps in the in the field where i could kind of insert myself and research some useful topic mm-hmm. or like make some useful contribution and but,
0: finding a gap that inspires you as yeah, well yeah right? yeah
1: exactly exactly um one of the ones that i almost started but didn't actually had funding from the u.s department of defense and what I, the shit I, yeah i know that was my that was my big um qualm about that it was So it was in this like little niche intersection of computer science and linguistics that was, um, storytelling for strategic purposes. Like you would, um, Mm -hmm. you'd be like, you'd be discussing a strategic plan and the computer system would recognize like the stress patterns in your voice and use that to like augment your presentation with like zooming in on particular parts of maps and that sort of thing. Um, like, and like was, in the movies when people like are telling movies.
0: telling a story and the plan and the, yeah. and the the map zooms in and out. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sort of thing. And many both ins f- died to bring us that PhD. And
0: <laughs> and the thing that, that stopped you was
1: Basically, partly you just, ADHD, but yeah. also
0: partly the funding?
1: Yeah, yeah. I i felt quite uneasy about like doing anything funded by the US Department of Defence.
0: <laughs> Did someone else do it?
1: Um Not as far as I mm. know. Cool. Um so it was, it was <clears throat> US Department of Defense and Lockheed Martin were the two. Who's
0: Lockheed Martin? Lockheed
1: Martin um, make airplanes, Ooh. like fighter planes yeah. and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, big money defense contractors and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I felt a little bit uneasy about that. But anyway, <laughs> so my point was that, like, that was, that was the thing, was finding a niche and slotting yourself in.
0: Yeah. Do you
1: have a niche?
0: do i have a niche um well as i am often referred to i i am the queen of wellington improv so
1: that's a label that you don't i think
0: it's i think it's really obnoxious (laughs) (laughs) i think i think it's something that like the first time i heard it i was like oh my god that's so flattering and in the times after that i was like okay let's not because that does kind of perpetuate something that i don't i'm not comfortable with really with like i i i recognize that the the networks i've sort of grown and the positions i've been in mean that i am like i've got fingers in all the pies yeah we were
1: talking to someone about it yesterday and their take on it was um that if i think about wellington improv i think about gino sullivan
0: yeah because i just sort of i'm vocal and i'm public and stuff but referring to me as the queen of Wellington improv it's is a quite, hierarchy, right? Yeah, and I don't yeah. want that. Like, I like I like being connected to people, and I like being um, being around. And I like that people go, "Yeah, I think when I think of improv, I think of you." But I don't want it to be. And she's the boss of us all.
1: Improv's not a feudal society with a network of vassals.
0: Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um. But I think improv is my niche. Yeah. Um. And, I, and Is I'm, there a particular facet? I think it's. Hmm, it's hard because right now I'm in a kind of a, uh, I feel, just because I've had such a very busy mind, I'm feeling a little bit like I'm in a bit of an improv funk, um, which is something that happens to every improviser and I think uh, you go go through ebbs and flows and you have times when you're like, oh my God, I'm just fucking soaring right now and other times where you're like, everything is falling apart. And sometimes the times where you think things are falling apart, it's not really, it's just there's some stuff that you're working on. Like, people from the outside will be like, what are they talking about? Everything looks fine and looks really great. But improv is
1: such a psychological mm. activity. You're talking about people who watch the show, like audience members watch, the, watch showing... the show? People who watch yeah. the
0: show, people who watch you perform, people who watch you direct and teach and all those things. Because yeah. I because I do all those things. Like, when I'm in an improv funk, it's not just my performing's bad. It's what's my and – I'm, and I'm not saying, like, oh, my God, woe is me right now. I'm just saying that, you know, that you have these times where you walk on stage and you just go, like – that didn't feel like it was smooth, that didn't feel like it gelled, or like I'm directing and I feel like everything that comes out of my mouth is just, it's just not, it's not enough and it's missing the mark and I'm not helping, or like as a producer, like I'm like I am not doing enough to support this work, and then I guess as a teacher it's, that it's back to the support thing I'm not supporting I'm not leading in in a strong enough way
1: yeah because I I guess every improviser's had shows where you've come off and you you get you go into the foyer or you go to the bar and your your friends are waiting there and they're like oh my god that was such a great show you were so great so funny (laughs) and inside you're just thinking I didn't feel connected on stage I didn't feel like I was present I didn't feel like I was listening I dropped so many things I said so many things that I shouldn't have said on stage that was not a good show by my own personal standards and even like professional improvisers watching you will be go- going wow you did such a great job um it was such a great show so lucky to have caught that show um
0: and you'll just be going like yeah but yeah, blah, then blah, it's blah. like you're dying and because it's, you because critic. It's, it's because it's yeah. because it's so psychological it's so because it's not about Doing something and rehearsing it and feeling good about it and going, like, great, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. I feel do. prepared for I this thing. I feel show. prepared for this thing because you can never be prepared yeah. at, in that way for improv. So when I'm in a funk, it's, it's – it's someone described um, teaching improv. I'm trying to remember who it was. I feel like it was Jill Bernard. I quote her so ah. much. Either Jill or someone associated to Jill. Jill or
1: Patty or someone. I can't remember who. Like
0: but they basically said that teaching improv is about – helping people get out of their own way
1: yes so
0: yep. so it's about helping people yeah it's about helping people stop that inner critic and stop that censor and stop them thinking what's wrong with me and what I'm, why aren't i doing things better and have them go what's happening here and like and focus outwards um so so i think that when when i, when I or other people maybe are in funks then what's happening is they're just they're in their own way significantly jill has that
1: jar of pickles analogy
0: jar of olives
1: jar of olives yeah right.
0: like yeah and it's on another podcast it's right. it's a story she's told on a podcast because that's where i heard it and i think it's on the nerd, not no degree that's our show that we've done <laughs> um improv nerd with jimmy Coraine. right that right. interview yeah. that she yeah. did she talks about yeah being a jar of olives well, go listen to that. There, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, mess yeah, up the, yeah. the thing. But yeah, yeah it's anyway,
1: uh, anyway. Listeners, go seek out Jill Bernard. She, she is a, well. That's interesting because I feel like Jill Bernard is someone that we hold in very high regard, but we don't want to call her a queen of improv. No, because, she's
0: just a brilliant teacher yeah. and a and a really joyful performer. And, and a very she humble runs a, person. Yeah, and she runs a theatre. Uh, I I can't remember what specific role she has, but she's a, one of the co-founders of huge mm-hmm. theatre in Minneapolis and um. Yeah, I'm sure she has days. We all have days when we just go like, this is not working and everything is terrible. But there are other times where I've felt like, fuck, I am on fire. Like everything Mm. just feels like it's flowing and it feels really good and positive. And part of, I can't remember how we got to this point, but like, I think one of the things that I'm struggling with is that I because I've been doing so much improv for so long, um, I think I should have taken a break and I didn't take a break. Right. And I was thinking about this the other day and I think that creatively you should take breaks before you need to take breaks yeah like you should take breaks while you're still going oh man i want to do a little bit more i feel like i could still do that thing mm. and go no you know what? i'm just going to have a breather i'm going to stop i'm going to have a breather i'm going to do something else for a while i'm going well, to just like absorb- with RSI,
1: right if you're sitting at your keyboard all day and mm. you because um, I, I i've dealt with this in the, in the past I've had, I've had muscle pains from sitting at a keyboard all day um but if you wait until you Feel pain, that's not the right time to do stretches, yeah, that's too it's late. not the right time to take breaks and like look after your body because it means you're already doing damage yeah. and if you're already feeling the symptoms of burning out and or, or cre- getting in a creative funk like that, maybe maybe it's a, a sign that you should have taken some time to stretch. Mm-hmm. that's interesting,
0: yeah, so i'm I'm feeling like I need to like think back over how open feeling about things and go like right okay i need to pay attention to these signs
1: in the future um mm-hmm. but the interesting <laughs>
0: another interesting thing is that doing this master's that's coming up
1: i feel like it's a great time to go back to school right when you feel like you need yeah to-
0: and it's going to be a time to step back and go okay someone else is in charge of me for a while and i'm going to do academic things and i'm going to read about directing and i'm going to do some craft with my hands because i literally i'm going to do scenography i'm going to study some more set building and light. I'm. I think set building is my favorite out of the like set and light and things like that yeah. and costume. I like building a set. Um. Uh. So yeah, I'll get to do mm. actual crafting and work and labor that way and go like right. I'm going to think about a different aspect of performance and I'm going to think about directing in terms. Pro- I'm. I'm assuming it's going to be in terms of scripted work. The the year of study that yep. I'm going to do on directing yep. because that's what those teachers focus is and i Mm -hmm. think i want to start by going like great tell me like let's get started in this way and then go great how do i apply this to improv because i really like i do like the idea of directing scripted work but i want to do improv yeah that's the theater that i want to do yeah and that's what i'm good at and that's what brings me joy hmm so that's what i want to focus on and i can't remember how we got to this point with the question but um (laughs) but that's how i feel uh but yeah doing a masters is going to be a lovely way of i feel like almost resetting because it means for a year that i have to say no to stuff because i've said yes to one very big thing yeah i'm gonna have to say no to a lot of other things yeah and that's really good for me because i'm a yeser yeah I mean I, I say yes to things and then I think about what that means. Yeah. Which is the worst way to do things.
1: Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. It's really rough. So I was thinking about your improv career and your personality in general. And I know like normally you start these conversations by telling uh telling the listeners what the person's jam is. I'm going to tell you what I think your journey is. (laughs) Great. Um, So I think, like, I look at the titles of your workshops that you teach. Mm -hmm. So you've got one called People Who Like People. Mm -hmm. uh, And you've got one called um, Happy Happy Failure. Failure. Um, I feel like there's a third one. But maybe not.
0: What what was it about? I'm trying Um, to remember. Anyway, uh, so
1: (laughs) I think... I think your jam as a teacher specifically is making people happy. Yep. Um, Yep. And finding out um, how to, how to be happy in scenes. Mm -hmm. Where does it come from?
0: Um, Originally the happy failure workshop came from me having a chat with Catherine Weaver from, uh, melbourne, melbourne who is a beautiful human um and i was saying that i felt like i wanted to start trying to put together workshops for festivals but i wasn't sure what my point of difference was because i think that's the trick with festival mm-hmm. workshops um you know we go to these festivals where they're a week long and there's three hour workshops or six hour yep. whatever and we sign up for these things either based on who's teaching them or what what they're teaching yep. and and there's, sometimes
1: like that dictates whether you go to the festival or not, right? Who's of course, teaching, yeah, you know? yeah.
0: But I mean, like, uh, you know, we look at these workshops and, you know, it's very rare that there are workshops that are titled things like uh, intro to improv or like basic yeah. status, yeah. because there's a lot of sort of, I guess there's a lot of things that, we, there are a lot of teachers that can teach. because well, if you're going kind to
1: fly of, to another city for a week, you want yeah. to make sure that you're spending your time and your money on something that's something going to different grow And you. what
0: is it that that person can teach you that you can't get yeah. elsewhere? So yeah. I was saying, you know, like, I don't know what my point of difference is. I don't know what I can teach. And Catherine said, I would learn happy failure from you. And I was like, ah. Because that is something that's kind of become something that I'm very comfortable with is having something having stuff go wrong or be goofy or just be really comfortable on stage in myself and i think that having that skill has meant that i've been able to improve as an improviser in other ways Mm. because once you're comfortable with yourself and you're comfortable making mistakes and you're comfortable knowing that you can walk on stage to a terrible scene and go oh that was shit but not go and therefore i'm shit Mm. then and also to not blame the other person in the scene and not to take it out on anyone else in that way. Then you can start doing the work of of getting better at story and getting better at character and getting and trying out new things that maybe won't work. And if you don't have that sort of in you first, then that's a huge hurdle to overcome. So I think and and when we think about the people who like people workshop as well, yeah. that comes from people who are scared to fail, do things to protect themselves, which yeah. is I'm yeah. not the first person to say that that's a big thing if you're if you're scared of failing then you take steps to make sure that you don't which means that you're not improvising fully
1: well it's that thing when you're playing as little kids like uh like you're you're playing i I don't i don't want to like yeah (laughs) <laughs> okay, so so yeah, uh, you you're playing pretend as kids, and you yeah. you've got pretend guns, and you shoot each other, and oh no, you didn't get me. Yes, I did. No, nah, I've got a I've got a shield, or I've got a bulletproof vest on. You didn't get me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the thing you don't want to you don't want to lose the game. You don't want to get shot or killed because and you don't want to lose. Yeah. You don't want to lose, and you you kind of carry that into grown up life, and you carry it into improv scenes. And meanwhile, you've got. Uh, all of these things coming at you, like the the traditional models of what a story is, about how um, the story doesn't really get going until you find out what the problem is. Um, yeah. And we misinterpret that as well, there's no story unless there's conflict.
0: Yes, yes. And um, particularly
1: in a two-person scene, mm-hmm. that means, that translates to, Uh, i come on stage with you and we start doing a scene and immediately there's beef between us
0: yeah but also and it's also that that position of if i tell you you're doing something wrong that means i'm right yeah so that means that i'm my character isn't making mistakes but yours is even though a character making mistakes is not you making mistakes yeah yeah so um yeah so the people who like people workshop is in response to that kind of instinct that people have of getting into an argument or playing negative because that's a you know it's a very common early response and so liking each other and being happy with yourself are are things that are important for those things there's um there's this other thing that i have been thinking about a lot It was just, and it's so funny because I, oh fuck, I've got to stop talking about Jill Bernard, but I can't deal with it, Jill. Um, We love you, Jill. (laughs) You've never met her, have you? I've
1: never met her. I've met her through you and I feel like I know her so
0: well. I only met her like once, like four years ago. Anyway, anyway, she posted this offhand Facebook status once where she commented that uh, she wondered what there was in, I think it's a Zen concept, it might be a different concept, but uh, but diagnosing problems with improvisers or improvisers like blocks based on any imbalance between their relationship with self, their relationship with their scene partner and their relationship with the audience. Right. Like having one of those three out of balance will cause a problem. Like if you are too heavily reliant on the audience then you will gag too much because you're too busy trying to get their approval instead of playing with your scene partner. And if you're too busy focused on yourself, then you won't be listening and you won't be giving the audience what they need from the scene. And if you're too focused, I guess on the other scene partner, then you probably won't actually be bringing anything to the scene because you'll be too busy seeking what's in their eyes and not actually giving them anything. Yeah. so and there's probably other problems it was just some examples but that has been sitting with me since she posted it and i think i messaged her a while ago going like jill did you ever do anything more with it and she was like nope um because yeah, she, she, she just throws <laughs> out these just diamonds and um uh but um oh, queen what a queen what a queen of improv what a beautiful human um but that is i think that feeds into it as well because if you are too self-focused it can either be uh, a fear thing or it can be an ego thing, you know, like you're right. you're too confident in your own abilities to fix everything that you're not paying attention to what's happening with your scene partner and with the audience or that you're so afraid that you just spend all your time building your little castle walls and making mm-hmm. sure that you're protected. Um, so yeah, I guess it's partly focusing on that or if you're desperately trying to please the audience that's another form of fear because you're afraid of letting them down. Yeah. Um, it's so much of it is about fear. It's just about people being afraid of afraid of succeeding and afraid of losing or afraid of being disappointing or afraid of not being funny enough or of letting down their scene partner. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you just sort of go into it going, I'm okay, I am enough. Just yeah. a Jill quote. A Jill quote. Fuck mm-hmm. you. I love you, Jill. Um, this is such a creepy fan podcast. I just oh, want to flag that. So, it. it's so, so creepy. Yeah. Um, but if there
1: you... should be a, t- a tag for that. <laughs> a creepy fan podcast. Creepy we'll put it in.
0: I'll let Jill know, and she can listen to it and just be like, "Oh, Jen, you're terrible." <sighs> wow. Um, but if you if you know that you're you're sufficient, yeah. and that what's going to happen between you is the more interesting thing, not whether or not you are going to be good enough, mm. then.
1: Because you'll, ne- you'll never be good. What is well, good is a professional scripted show that's been drafted and redrafted and gone through like revisions and.
0: See, I disagree with that. I think it's a different. It's a different oh, product entirely. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Never I don't mean like. As... I don't mean
1: comparing them qualitatively. I, oh. I mean you're never going to be as polished.
0: Yeah. Well, even then, like you're a different. It's a different. It's a different thing that you're making, right? Yeah. Like the polish and improv is different to polish and scripted theater i yeah. think and i think the idea that nothing that comes out in an improv show is going to be as good as i mean whatever the, oh, yeah, whatever yeah. whatever your frame for that is yeah
1: i mean um, i've i've seen i've seen improv shows that have been better than professional shows i've paid 40 or 50 i to see.
0: only ever been moved to full-on body racked tears by an improv show yeah, yeah. um because it's doing something different, it's not yeah. doing what scripted theatre is doing. It's doing what improv theatre do- is yeah. doing, yeah. and it's it's aiming for a different endpoint. Um, and there's I mean, <laughs> this guy, super drunkenly, a friend of a uh, friend of my husband's uh, called Mark Barrett. I'm going to tell him that he's in this as well. Um, he told me Take when yourself. he was he was so <laughs> drunk one night, and he was trying to explain to me why he didn't like improv, and he pulled out paradise lost <laughs> like he he was like you know paradise lost at the end of paradise lost there's this line and it says this that and the other and it was some beautiful line that yeah. he described to me and i was like you're right that is beautiful and he was Amazing. like you would never get that yeah. you would never get that in an improv show and i was like how do you know how much he practiced before he wrote that line down how do you know he yeah. didn't just dash that off and it became the thing that grabs you yeah. um because as far as i'm aware the way paradise lust was written was he dictated it to his daughters because he was blind john milton was blind by the time he wrote that yeah. and he just had it in his head and he wrote it down by someone else writing it down so how many revisions would he actually have done truly yeah that's um interesting that's a side thing, but yeah. I th- I just find it very odd that you can't you you you're like no, there's no way anyone could ever say anything that beautiful in the moment.
1: Yeah, and I completely yeah. dispute that. Well, also like the thing the thing that I like about improv in that regard is that the right thing to say, like it's not objective. So yeah. so you get you spend ages polishing a script for the untold audiences that come before you because when you're writing a script you don't know anything about the audiences that are going to watch it you can hope and you know
0: who you're aiming for yeah
1: i mean i bet roger hall has some idea of who's going to watch his place um but like for the most part when you're writing when you're writing a play you can hope what sort of audiences will watch it but you don't know but when you're improvising you have the ability to tailor every single word and gesture to directly to the 40 or 50 people or 200 people or eight people who are in the room <laughs> yes. we did a show to five people the other night I did three imp- of whom were venue staff
0: <laughs> i did an improv show some years ago to two people in the audience yeah and it was actually a beautiful show because we sat them right in the front row in a couch and when we weren't in scenes we sat around them and yeah. every single scene we asked them what they wanted so they got this show that was 100 percent tailored to them while we sat around them, basically enjoying it with them. So they didn't feel alone. Yeah. And they bloody loved it. And one of them became an improviser.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a show that really sticks in my memory was about, I guess, about 2004 or 2005. Mm-hmm. I did a Scared Scriptless show um, with the Court in Christchurch. I'm going to. Maybe tell them they're in this podcast. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it was it was show weekend, which is Canterbury Anniversary Weekend, and it was really, really terrible weather. Mm-hmm. And so I think we had 15 people in the audience, but my entire family was there. So they <laughs> made up almost half the audience yeah. because they'd brought partners and, and things like that. Um, and it was, it was a really lovely show because i knew so much about them Mm -hmm. and i could just put these little things into the show for them just just for them and that's an opportunity that you don't get when you're sitting in your drafty little garret um you know tapping away on your typewriter Mm. whatever coming up with paradise lost yeah like john milton doesn't know who's gonna read that book And, like, what's going to specifically resonate with them. Because you can't, like, with improv, the thing that I love is that you can can actually hear people react to the lines that you say and the offers that you make. Mm -hmm. You can say a line and know from the audience's reaction whether you're a hero or a villain. Mm. Or, like,
0: what part of the line is the... The, the important part
1: yeah which bit which bit they're really listening to mm. you can tell oh they're not interested in that storyline or they're really interested in this character mm. oh, or you just you back. like
0: take a breath at a certain time and they realize that that means that that character is unsure about something and you realize that in the same moment and you go oh you're right thank you
1: audience thank you audience i will keep going yeah didn't realize that without you yeah. so that's interesting yeah so
0: So my jam is making people happy, but I think I I thought of another reason why that is the way it is because happy people are fun to play with
1: Yeah, and I want to play with happy people. (laughs) Yeah. I've just done a season with you and I think the direction I heard most often from you was remember that you like each other. Yeah. Um, Which is a really nice way of putting it. Like we don't want to, we don't want to watch scenes all the time about people who hate each other and have arguments. No
0: i mean that doesn't mean we shouldn't ever have them yeah, no improv rule or direction means never ever do that but it's unless tiring. it's stop being horrifically racist on stage and yeah, sexist yeah. but it's exhausting yeah. if everything's the same it's but it's also dogs. exhausting if it's always negative so if you just start a scene liking each other it's so simple but just like each other and enjoy each other's company and let that drive how you respond to each other mm. nice and I think mm. the other direction I gave a lot in the other show we're working on is, like, I want your character to have more joy. Mm. Yeah. I want more joy. I want to know what makes your character happy. Yeah. Mm.
1: So does that desire to see happiness out of people, does it bleed over into real life or does it come from mm-hmm. real life? I think so. And I think it's like a...
0: <laughs> let's get super psychological. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's like a people-pleasing thing. Mm. Like and it, and it's it's uh i like people to be happy because it's nice to be around happy people and i like mm. to do things for people where that means that they will be happier you know if someone says hey can you do x and i can do it i go yep and sometimes when i can't do it i go yep and then i go oh no
1: oh dear <laughs> what have yeah, i done yeah i'm feeling that a lot lately yeah it's rough <laughs> from uh, myself not yeah. from you but oh um, good
0: um yeah, it's 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 a desire to, act. let's be completely honest, it's a desire to be liked. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody wants to be liked, which I think is where fear comes from in terms of those improv things because they don't want anyone to not like what they do because then they might not like them. Yeah. But I want people to like me. And I don't think there's anything wrong in having that desire. I think it's just about knowing when you are over-promising, for one, yeah. and over-committing in terms of, what you can realistically achieve without hurting yourself.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting point um, because uh, I remember when Dan Bain took over as artistic director of the Court Chesters and uh, the Court in, t- in 2014. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the first things that he said to us as a company was that um, we had we had a good show. Mm -hmm. but we would never have a great show unless we had some shit shows. Oh yeah. And I like what he, what he meant by that was unless we risked enough that we could have a really terrible bomb of a show, we would never soar high enough to have a truly great show. Mm -hmm. Um, we We would continue to have a good show, but it would be a safely good show. And it wouldn't, it would never kind of break through that ceiling into being a fantastic show because mm. we'd never let it be mm. like we'd stick to the games and the, the choices and the characters that we were all safe and comfortable and familiar with. Mm. Um, and it was only when we allowed ourselves to break outside of that, that we got to, this is crazy. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Or this is batshit crazy and it died on its ass, but at least we had fun and we had enough confidence in the MC that the MC could come along afterwards and say, well, they can't all be winners, Um, and then throw us into something where they knew that we would succeed.
0: Mm -hmm. For the audience's sake as well. Oh,
1: absolutely, for the audience's sake. Because you've got to have those relationships Yeah, as an MC, going into a show like that, I'll always have a, a safety game that I know that that particular cast... And that particular audience will be a winning combination. Mm -hmm. um, So that if something does bomb, I can make the players shine. Mm. Uh, Because as an MC, it's my responsibility, I guess, to kind of take one for the team. And if it helps the players to shine. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, correct.
1: Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's the end
0: of a really long day.
1: Uh yeah, we just finished. Uh I've um I don't know about you but I've done nine shows since Thursday. That's amazing <laughs> and now it's Sunday.
0: I don't know how many shows I've done. I haven't been counting, uh, but I did run the fun run this morning and um I
1: am sleepy. Uh,
0: but we're gonna get this episode out, dang it.
1: Yeah we are. Um I'm excited. because um, I've I've loved I've loved the episodes so far. Is mm-hmm. there anyone uh, and the listeners may be able to help you with this, so I'm plugging your own podcast on yes, your own podcast do. while yeah. I interview you. But is, is there any type or group of person or people that you wish had responded to your call for submissions that you haven't got?
0: I would really love to hear from some more people in the tech world. Yeah. Um, that would be really great. Okay, uh, because i think let's my talk about that after my networks are very artist-based yeah like i've got a lot of performer friends mm-hmm. um and you know there's only so many times you can sort of encourage people to retweet requests for people um yeah. so so i would love to hear from people who work in tech mm-hmm. from people who work in i guess social enterprises would be interesting i yeah. mean i've got i think i've got someone tomorrow from that which is mm-hmm. um uh, i'm doing three interviews tomorrow So I'm interviewing, yeah, I've got, uh, some, I've got an activist, I've got someone who runs a company with refugee women and a photographer. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm really enjoying the diverse sort of range of things. Um, I, yeah, I would love, I'd love some more people that I, that there's probably industries I haven't even thought of Mm. that I need to get in here.
1: So, a lot of your improv and your teaching and your festival appearances and your shows um, are based around um, the idea of like creating opportunities for women improvisers Mm -hmm. or like uh, groups that aren't often represented. Um, Do you feel like your art is becoming more political in that way?
0: I think, first of all, that I have done a lot of work to give space for women. I don't know that I've done enough work or much work on other groups of un- underrepresented, underrepresented people in comedy and improv. I say comedy as well just because they kind of overlap in that sure. area. Um, but I just want to flag that. Yeah, like, like I'm not fixing the world yet, mate. Yeah, yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but
1: do you feel a pull towards that? I
0: feel a pull towards making. M- you having a process that is political i don't i don't feel a drive for me personally to make work that has an overt message to the audience which is like this thing is bad this thing is good or um hey this is a complex subject that i'm thinking about that's kind of not as much of my driver creatively like creatively i just like telling stories in the moment and finding out silly things Mm. and making people laugh yeah um but the process by which i do that is by frequently doing work with women because i find that women are hilarious um and i love women some of my best friends are women (laughs) (laughs) you're such a good feminist gal um uh yeah, so like by, by making work with women and giving space for women to demonstrate their skills and things like that. Uh, I feel like that's that in itself is a political move. Right. Because yeah. because I personally may not always have Im- I was going to say I may not always have important things to say. I think finding joy is important. Um, I may well, not always I mean, have political. Fuck it. Like, th- yeah. So
1: many, so many men who get stage time have nothing important to say. <laughs> so many men who have podcast time have nothing important, nothing important to say. Hello, listeners. <laughs> um, um,
0: but but it is that thing of, um, uh, I may not always have something. Sp- something like adamantly political to say
1: but why should you need to
0: but what i was going to say is but by making space for people who do have that sort of thing to say and do want to make that work that's i think what i am pushing towards like giving giving people enough security and failure it's the happy failure thing giving people enough comfort in themselves as performers so that when they go oh shit yeah i've got this i want to say they Mm. can do that and they're not they're not bogged down by but can i actually improvise like like i want to teach people how to improvise so that they can then go and do whatever it is they want to do
1: yeah and then the rest of the time they can just do those silly scenes that are that are about making people laugh and Mm -hmm. making people happy and bringing joy to a friday night or whatever
0: and i mean we make people laugh with jokes about feminism and things like tonight we did this show where we had a character who was incredibly feminist and yeah. it was matt's character it the was town mayor the town mayor
1: who was uh, just this <laughs> bizarrely overt feminist i think in a town that didn't really need it
0: yeah which was, <laughs> it, was hilarious. it was kind
1: of preaching to the choir yeah but i think
0: it's like it had he'd had an awakening and he was like ladies have you heard of feminism and all the women were like <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think my fa- my favourite scene in that was, well, in that particular storyline was uh, the mayor like boxing off with electrical tape on the floor a little safe space for women, and all of the women in the cast crowding into this tiny little one meter box on stage.
0: And commenting, it felt somewhat stifling.
1: Yeah. yeah. But I guess, yeah, like I think I think that character came out of like i like i just told that offhand joke joke is a way of starting a scene yeah it was great and the audience responded to it and it was that thing of oh the audience the audience is into this kind of knowing wink to this uh this kind of Mm. um mansplained feminism (laughs) um and (laughs) i silly yeah i knew what i was doing and the audience knew that i knew what i was doing and they were they were having fun with it and we were just being silly and making them laugh and yeah. we went trying to make a political statement yeah, about the, it. Yeah, but anything. the way they
0: responded to it told us that they were on that on the side of they they got what we were talking about yeah. in terms of oh yes, like we see what you're making fun of, which meant that we could keep making jokes in a particular way. So exactly. when I was standing in the box that had been fenced off for women and I said, "Hang on, couldn't we just make all of this space safe for women?" The audience clapped. <laughs> And laughed, and I was like, "Yeah, me too." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was you—you you have that understanding, but if they respond in a different way, yeah, that's back to that other stuff we were talking about. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and you gotta you gotta read that, and mm. and maybe if the audience had responded in a different way to that character, it would have like, gone a different way. He would have stayed off stage for the rest of the show,
0: or I would or have done a different you, thing in response.
1: Yeah, you would have clued him up a lot sooner.
0: Mm. Um, but he just tried so hard. He doesn't get a cookie, but he gets a gets a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah. It's all I right, love.
1: <laughs> what I what I really liked about that particular storyline was um, you as the mayor's wife, just really having a really loving relationship with, <laughs> with her husband who tries so hard. <laughs> it's, um, there's a show that I really love at the moment called Shit's Creek. Um, and it's Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they play a rich couple who have been kicked out of their home because it's been repossessed by the IRS because their accountant did something dodgy. Um, and it's, it's in a way, the show is poking fun at this rich couple who have kind of been deposed and stripped of their riches and they have to kind of make it the way that normal people do. But... Um. Whereas there, there might be a temptation to make them snipey and bitter at each other. They're a really loving couple and they they just really get on really well with each other. They have a they have a healthy sex life and their their marriage is really healthy and they they love they their children each even other. though they despair of them. And they back each other. Yeah. And it's beautiful and it comes back to that remember you like each other and like why would you want to watch people who are sniping at each other when you could watch people a, who
0: like each people other. who
1: like each other and because that be... means
0: we can find out new things to laugh at as well because yeah. if you have if if so much of the comedy that we've watched because i mean like right now we're talking about comedy yeah. so much of the comedy that we watch is from people not getting along and from like mm. you know the harried husband and the horrible wife yeah, or, the, or the super- hey
1: guys uh, rem- what about that thing that women do that we all find confusing yeah. or disturbing and getting
0: angry at each other. Like we've done that. We've yeah. done it a lot. Whereas yeah. if you have characters who like each other and they get into hijinks together yeah. because of things that they, are, uh, you know, just because of like different, different ob- objectives instead yeah. of different, like instead of hating each other. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's such a bigger trove of comedy and joy and story that we can explore that way. Like I mean, this, the, one of my favorite shows is Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, and it's similar to Parks and Rec in that it's a group of people who work together and like each other and have each other's backs.
1: They have disagreements and arguments, but they but they
0: though but they, they matter because other. they love each other and they matter because they like each other and they matter because the outcome the outcome of disagreements matters because it's going to change those people, not because someone's going to
1: win. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, uh, yeah, it comes back to that thing about we're, we're taught that the way into a story is through conflict. But the conflict doesn't matter to us unless we know who the characters are. And the only way that we know who the characters are is by observing them in their natural state. And then their natural state can't be constantly bickering and arguing and fighting because those characters are exhausting to watch. Exactly. Um Exactly. Like I don't want to be around as a person. I don't want to be around people who are constantly bitter and constantly depressed and constantly fighting and let's talk about fighting. happy things. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make people happy.
0: I want to have a nice, happy time. That's yeah. why I improvise. I improvise to bring joy. Yeah. That's why improv is my jam. Yeah. Is this episode going to be improv <laughs> with Jenna
1: Sullivan? Is that what this episode is? <laughs> well, you've just done improv improv, and musical theatre not musical theatre, improv and gospel singing with yes. Linda Calgaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like episode 10 of What's Your Jam? Conversations about what makes us happy over a cup of tea and a jam's gone. Have you
0: listened to every single episode? I of have to <laughs> every single
1: episode because I'm a Jennifer O'Sullivan fanboy. Um, <laughs> but I feel like episode 10 of What's Your Jam? is going to be happiness with Jennifer O'Sullivan. <laughs> okay we'll do that that sounds good and i feel like that's a nice place to wrap up yes um jen um this is a place for you to plug your own stuff (laughs) uh you can you can see both of us right listeners you can see both of us performing in deep space Nine Nine. do
0: i get to plug it or are you plugging it
1: (laughs) <laughs> do <laughs> I thought you do want to do this word at a time <laughs> no i don't. deep space
0: nine i 25th of february at bat's theater uh improvised soap opera for 10 hours that's one of the things i love doing in improv is soap operas yeah. um come and watch uh matt powell play a alien with a with the inability to
1: remember the past. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he perceives time in reverse. So he remembers the future and doesn't remember the past.
0: Uh, and me playing a celebrity space pilot, <laughs> a celebrity
1: space pilot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's going to be a very silly time. Mm. And you can also catch me on all of these podcasts. Yep. Uh, I have got 10 more. No, this is episode 10. So I have 11 more guests between yeah. now and the end of fringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, pretty damn good time yeah and uh, you will also be doing one other show
1: won't you i make have up? one other show on the fringe uh and it's a show that you helped bring to life Gen. sure, did, sure um, did i brought joy uh, to you jen runs a show called late night knife fight which is um improv like a, like an improv battle uh, and it's really a testing ground for new stuff so uh the first half is three acts get 10 to 12 minutes each to do whatever they want and then the second half is the winner from last month expanded into a 30-minute slot with some rehearsal space and some direction uh, if they want it. And uh, I teamed up with comedian Johnny Potts to do a set called The National Average. Um, And I love working with Johnny because he's a stand-up who doesn't improvise much, and I'm an improviser who doesn't, or who's dabbled in stand-up, but never really got how to do it. So together we have this kind of weird style that dips in and out of the fourth wall and is constantly making comments about our shitty mime. And There's
0: so much comments, but weird, it's great.
1: weird references. I love, I love working with Johnny because he plays so close to the fourth wall that we can just like dip out and dip back in again. It's more of a fourth sort of like mesh <laughs> yeah well the audience is kind of in the bar with us that's yeah. great so we're doing uh we're doing a full hour version of that one night only on the 2nd of march at the fringe bar as part of the fringe season of dank comedy presents um uh, so thanks tickets to, from
0: fringe.co.nz yeah thanks we'll put Joel a link in the fringe um for that. yeah we'll put a link in the description for you yeah. and a bunch of links for me yeah I feel like that's probably
1: plenty. This it's has a, been a very long great. chat. What a what a great place to finish. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're both very tired. We've done a lot of shows this week.
0: I've got two hours to get this out before the end of the day so that it is, in fact, the 10th episode
1: on the 10th day. I'm yeah. going to do it. You're going to do it. Um, well, you promised yesterday that you weren't going to skip a day. And, and you've like, held me to it, damn Matt, it. Matt, I might skip today. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, we're going to get this done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it. This is this has been episode 10 of What's Your Jam? I'm doing the the. the Post amble, is what the I've been post-amble. calling it. There's the preamble and the post What's your jam? Uh, we've got 11 more episodes. Come out every day. I'm recording a bunch of episodes and uh, interviews tomorrow. If you've got comments, thoughts, feedback, suggestions of guests, I'm still open for those. So visit whatsyourjam.nz and tell me those. Otherwise, have a lovely week. It's the end of Sunday, so which means it's time for you to crack into the second full week of Fringe.
1: And you mm-hmm. should Two do more that. Weeks to go. see some shows.
0: You should. fringe.co.nz. Uh, go to BATS, go to Griffin, go to any of the other venues. Track, Club. Thank you, you yes, like that. of those. Yeah, cool. but But yeah, that's, that's all from us. Ciao. <laughs> What's Your Jam is recorded in Wellington and is part of the New Zealand Fringe Festival 2017. Music by Robbie Ellis. Casual interference and support from Molly the Cat? Tea provided by Tea Left Tea on Manor Street. Jam expertly crafted by Bachmans. This show is hosted and produced by me, Jennifer O'Sullivan, and you can find useful links, more episodes, and suggest future guests by visiting what'syourjam.nz. Thanks for listening.